Welcome back to another episode of School of Science Radio. I'm Gino Ganello, joined today by Chris and Adam. And guys, it's a little bit of a mixed week this week, I guess you could say. You know, we we have some things to talk about at midweek, but I think the end of the week uh, provided some happiness for us and made us uh, at least forget some of what happened uh, at midweek. And we'll talk about all of that. Uh, but first off, how you guys doing today? Well, I think Chris is doing best of all of us. I don't even think – are you actually paying any attention to what we're doing, Chris, or are you just watching the Atlanta Braves? I do have my beloved Atlanta Braves on in the background. I cannot tell a lie. Um, <laughs> my extremely handsome and talented son, Ronald Lacuna Jr., has just hit a grand slam. And so I come into this podcast with you guys in an extremely good mood. Don't worry, we'll take care of that for you. Yeah, well, we have, to, we have to talk about Everton, so like you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in all fairness, it is it is postseason baseball, and uh, I have to say, after last night's win for my team, the Yankees, which I'm sure won't. Uh, Gross. Yeah, I'm about to say, I'm sure that won't get too many uh, uh, likable comments there, but uh, I'm pretty happy too. Uh, yesterday was a pretty good day for me, unfortunately. Uh, the Titans lost today, but neither here nor there. We're here to talk about Everton football and, and let's start off with the bad and move towards the good. We'll start off with Southampton in midweek. Guys, I think the biggest talking point here is Silva's decision to make seven changes, uh, at midweek. How do you guys feel about this? And specifically, I would love if you guys could expand specifically on, you know, Steck and Dowell and, and if you think that those players specifically were players that should have been put in to the uh, the lineup for Southampton, or if, you know, we should have stuck with Pickford and Gilfie in those specific positions. And Adam, we'll start with you. Uh, I, I think I'm probably a, a little more lenient on uh, Silva here than, than most folks have been about a lot of the rotation. Um, you know, you, you look at the lineup from that match and, you know, Baines, Keane, Zuma, and Kenny at the back, should be enough against uh, against Southampton. Uh, an engaged-looking Lookman with Bernard and Schenk up top. You know, a, a midfield with Morgan Schneiderlin and Tom Davies. You know, these are these are components of a team that that can easily, especially at home, be beating a team like Southampton, uh, and just never really got into the flow. I think more than any individual person or player not not in the lineup I think the the talking point has to be uh with as many changes as there were was there any real opportunity for these guys to get into a rhythm and that I think is the bigger question for me uh than individual guys even Stecklenburg and and Kieran Dowell although there is surely a a bigger conversation to be had about Kieran Dowell going forward as well yeah so you know, I'm not really a big proponent of the whole cup goalkeeper idea. I think, you know, with as little physical strain as gets put on goalkeepers in this league, you don't really need to rotate them. I understand the rationale for wanting to get Stecklenburg shots um, in game time. But, you know, when when Everton are in this position where they need to be making cup runs and need to be winning these games – I would rather see Marco stick with his best player, which is obviously Jordan Pickford. But that one, that one, even though Stecklenburg made the mistake on Danny Ings' opener, the bigger one for me was removing Gilfie Sigurdsson when he's in 
arguably the form of his life, and Kieran Dell has had kind of a rough start to the season. I would have really rather seen Guilty kind of stick in that position and see what he could have done with the with the new set of wingers. Obviously, yeah. obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but with with the, the international break coming up, I don't really see the the rationale for sticking Dowell in there. But um, I mean, I could be convinced differently. But well, and I, I think I think one of the things, one of the uh, counterpoints to that that was made was that you know Gilfie does play ninety minutes all the time, whether it's for Everton or for Iceland. And with that international coming break coming up, he was going to play um, significantly. So I mean. You would think that in these earlier stages of these club competitions, you can get him rest. But, I mean, in the form that he's in, you know, it's hard to say, hey, let's give this guy a rest when he's, you know, and we'll talk about this a bit later, when he's been one of the better players, if not the best player on the pitch, week in and week out. Yeah, and, and I think I think you've hit on it, you know, dead on, Gino, in terms of what the, the counterpoint is there. You know, you know he is, just as he is for Everton, he's so crucial to what Iceland does as well. And Iceland... You know they're they're in the um, the Nations League, the UEFA Nations League, and they're in they're in League A, so they're playing good teams. So they're going to be doing a lot of defending. He's going to be covering a lot of ground because that's just the way that Iceland you know plays against these these bigger nations and and quite well to their you know to their credit. Uh, but to me to see well we're gonna we're gonna be playing him at Leicester at the weekend, and you know he's gonna play twice in in between the Leicester match and the Palace match after the break. I, I don't, I don't know if I can fault Silva for, for making that, that decision. But again, that also takes into consideration, well, is Kieran Dow really even a rotation level Premier League player at this point? And based on the evidence that we've gotten so far this season, it doesn't appear that he is. Yeah, and I have to agree uh, what you're saying there because, I, you know, it's I think it's less about Gilfie playing and more about us not having a viable backup for him in, at that position to be able to distribute the ball well enough and really create something in the attack. And, um, you know, that is obviously um, not an issue about Tuesday, more of an issue about what we need to figure out, you know, in transfer windows or, or, or developing players, which we've and talked I, about already. I'm, I'm curious, Chris, especially if if we rolled out uh, on Tuesday instead, if we rolled a four four two, just forego Dowell and Gilfie, and we rolled a four four two with Shank and Omar or Shank and Dom or whoever up top, does Gilfie sitting bother you less if we just as we did in our first League Cup game, we just say, screw it, let's throw two strikers on there and see what happens. I think it bothers me a little bit less just because there's not an obvious position for him to go into, but not entirely because if memory serves correctly, he was out of the 18th completely, um, as well as DCL. And I would have liked to have had that wild card on the bench to throw at Southampton late in the game when we did need the goal. I mean, we ended up getting the goal anyway, but you can't really – evaluate things on that measure I just it, with as early as it is in the season I'm not really thinking that you need to be resting the, the your top players like Silva did but I, I guess I could see both sides yeah and uh you know it's uh, there, there are a lot of uh you know points and and little I guess uh it, decisions that that, that could have 
gone one way or the other and, and people will argue over those. But I think the biggest is that we did make seven changes and it kind of disrupted the flow overall of the team. But one player who, I mean, for us here in the United States, the game was um, at live, not available on TV. And I believe it wasn't available on TV um, over in England as well. Unless but, you were in China, I believe. Yes. I believe China was the only place that had live television coverage of this match for reasons. Yeah, again, yes. Uh, ridiculous that this game wasn't televised in any manner. But from what this, from what it sounded like, Ademo Lookman had a, a, a great, uh, a better game than we've seen him have uh, in a long time. Uh, he was excellent and engaged from what it sounded like. Is this a good sign? And does this provide a more opportunities moving forward? Chris, we'll start with you. So, I, I mean, I think it's a good sign, right? Because it's definitive progress from where he had been early in the season, where he wasn't playing at all. And in the few minutes that he did get, he looked just completely bored and out of it. Um, my concern, though, is that the other three wingers on the team are also playing really well. And I don't think that you can ju- really justify including him over Theo Walcott or Richarlison or Bernard. So it feels like he's almost a little bit stuck, especially since we're already out of the League Cup. Yeah, yeah I think that was part of the concern, you know, uh, going into this season as well. You know, after we had we had added Richarlison and Bernard, you know, Bernard was admittedly a little bit of an unknown at the time, but you could see a path to where this was exactly the place that we were going to be. And, you know, and I've talked in the past about, how I think Lookman might run into the same problem at, at RB Leipzig, which is where he wanted to be anyway. Um, but I, I don't know if you're Everton now, even if you're you're happy with his game, uh, and but if you get to January and you're thinking, boy, we don't have a place for him, I, I don't think you're gonna uh, <laughs> you're gonna get a you know fraction of the price that you would have maybe gotten for him over the summer, but. That's a long way away, obviously, and just the fact that he's shown up and played well uh, is good and a nice change. And I, I would think that the other thing that we do have to keep in mind is that, you know, at some point in the season, Theo Walcott's going to miss some time through injury. He's Theo Walcott. Well, and Richarlison might headbutt somebody again. Um, <laughs> that's that's something that we, have to, we have to take into account. I and this we're, I'm getting the you know, the cart before the horse a little bit here, but I don't think I would sanction a Lookman sale really in January just because of, you know, if you're playing two wingers on the regular, I don't think that you want to move forward with with just three. And there's going to be, there's going to be times where he needs to come to the game. And I'm a little bit worried about Bernard being a flash in the pan. We could talk about that later, but I, I do think there's going to be more minutes for Lookman than we might perceive right now. Yeah, I I actually agree with you, uh, Chris, on this one. I, I don't think we should really be uh, thinking about a Lookman sale just yet in January, just because I feel like, uh, and Adam, you brought this point up already, you know, you never know what you're getting uh, with Theo and his injuries and, and, you know, he's, you know, whether he's going to be available to play or not. So it's always good to have that backup. I mean, look, man, and, you know, you never know. It could it could not come before January. It could come, at the, you know, towards the end of the season uh, when we need to pick up, you know, points here and there fighting for uh, European uh, or spots in European competition. So I, I think I think overall it's it's good that Lookman has, you know, decided to show up and 
you know, put in a good effort and, and, and kind of buy in from what it seems, I guess, to, you know, the whole Silva plan. And hopefully that means good things moving forward for us because, you know, it's not, it's a good problem to have, to have a bunch of wingers that are playing really well. And, uh, you know, no matter who you put in there, um, it's going to be a, a good outing from them. Um, but, you know, moving aside from the, uh, you know, Lookman and really just the decisions, just looking at Everton in general, um, and, and they're, you know, they, they've had missed opportunities year in and year out. And this specifically was a huge opportunity for them. Adam, just what is, why doesn't, what is, what is up with Everton? Why can't they just go for these cups, these, these cup competitions? Um, and, and what kind of troubles are they having? Is it strictly because they made too many changes or is it just, is it something else? Well, I, I think in part it, it relates to an issue that we've had uh, for a while uh, at the club, really since at least in the short term, since we sold Lukaku, um, that we've got a first team squad that is simultaneously too big and not good enough. Uh, and th- the upshot is that we get into these competitions and we say, well, crap, you know, we got guys like Dowell and like Stecklenburg and like whomever uh, that we want to definitely get into the game. And we don't know when the next time we're going to get them in is. So we got to shoehorn them in here. Um, but there's a reason that some of those guys are on the bench and far enough down the bench that you're not even thinking about starting them in a uh, in a Premier League game. But we haven't quite been able to find the balance of, okay, we've got, you know, this squad of however many players. Either they are good enough to play in the Premier League or they're not good enough to play in the Premier League and we shouldn't be using them in the cup. And if that's the case, what are they doing on the roster in the first place? Well, the frustrating thing about that, and you're right, is that you have a handful of players who are currently on the shelf with injury who could have made a real difference on Tuesday. Um, Yeri Mina and Seamus Coleman specifically, probably Andre Gomez too, although I've seen obviously a lot less of him, and by a lot less I mean none of him. But those are rotational options that are much more talented than Kieran Dowell. Benny Beningami, the man will soon return. This would have been a great game for Benny Beningami. It would have. Have to, always got to get my Benny shout-ins where I can. Yeah, and I, I, it's it's tough with these these Everton these Everton Cup competitions. You know, you you do have to rotate in some sense, but you guys are right. You know, it's really a problem of not having that that quality and depth. But you know, again, the injuries do affect that a little bit and do cause some some problems um, with. You know, because there are talented players that are injured right now that, like Chris said, could have made a difference. And it's a shame because this was definitely a competition that I think we could have made some noise in just because, you know, like we mentioned, you know, uh, Liverpool being out, I believe United was out too. You know, you got some big guns out already. And it really, you know, we had Leicester, we, we had a, a trip to Leicester, which would have been our next uh, game. And it's a shame that we couldn't have advance more because it's not only a, you know, wanting to win competitions, but it's a confidence issue as well. And, and something that, 
you know, it would have built the confidence and, and given extra motivation to certain things during the rest of the season, yeah. I think. I and also I think I that, uh, go ahead, Chris. I just wanted to apologize to James McCarthy for leaving him off my injured players list. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I think it is just before we kind of close the book on this, it is worth talking about exactly, you know, what this team's record in, in the FA cup and EFL cup is over the last couple of years. Cause I mean, last year we, yeah, we went out early in both competitions last year, but we went out to Liverpool and Chelsea. I mean, you know, I, do I wish that that was not the case? Obviously, but I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get up in arms about going out to two of the top six teams. Uh, if, you guys, if you guys remember correctly, both of those games were pretty tight. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Virgil van Dyke didn't score hit the winner until very late. Yeah, and, yeah, it was like in the 84th minute, I think, off a header off a corner, which is yeah. so typically us. Yeah. And <laughs> Dominic Calvert-Lewin against Chelsea in the League Cup scored a really late one that brought us back within a goal. So it wasn't like we just completely flopped. And uh, but the year Brett before that was, uh, was bad. Uh, I don't remember. I think we lost to Norwich and somebody else. But in 15-16, remember, we made it to the semifinals of both the FA Cup and League Cup. And yeah. again, in the FA... Anthony Martial scored a 93rd minute goal to knock us out, and we had City on the ropes pretty much the whole way in the League Cup. Uh, so I, I understand oh, folks' frustration, and I probably just added more frustration by bringing back all those painful memories. Um, the the most frustrating thing about that 2015 FA Cup game was that Manchester United went on to play Crystal Palace in the final, who who we could have beaten rather easily. Yeah. Yeah. But my, my point being that sure. there there have been moments of frustration without a doubt uh, and frustration because we've gone out to teams that we definitely should not have gone out to. Um, but, uh, you know, if you look past now in the last four, four years, you know, there's four games in there, Chelsea, Liverpool, United City, where I'm sorry, but we can't really be losing our minds over going out to those teams, especially with the two Manchester games being in the semifinals of these competitions. So, you know, everything in perspective and all that. Yeah, and, and you know, you look at the squad we have now compared to the squad we had last season with uh, some of the tactics uh, that we were running <laughs> and whatnot. And, and, you know, those look even better, I would say, uh, yeah. in my opinion, uh, due to uh, some circumstances. But before we close this one out, guys, I got to ask you guys how you feel real quick about this because I, you know, I watched, obviously saw the penalty run up by Richarlison. What did you guys think of this? Like, it was very choppy and awkward. And you think that played anything into him missing the penalty? I, I, I don't know. I, it just looked weird to me. I, I think he should stop hanging out with Neymar. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're Neymar, you can do that kind of thing, right? And you, you kind of have the, the capital built up to pull it off, but man, I just, I, I feel like it's not as, it's not, it's obviously not effective and it almost gives the penalty taker more time to think about making a mistake than it does the goalkeeper time to consider where he's going to make the save. Yeah, I, I agree on that. I, I mean, I, I just, I don't understand just, I mean, it's, it's a penalty kick, go up, take it and, and, and Put it in the back of the net. Don't need to be fancy about it. You know, just, I mean, you got a net with just the goalie. Nobody in front of you. Just put it away. And, and Practice obviously. Practice penalties. Yeah. Practice and obviously, penalties. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's amazing yeah. to me how that is still a conversation 
yeah. on this, the year of our Lord, 2018, that we are having. <laughs> I mean, if you've got a cup competition coming up, practice penalties. Even if you don't want to practice penalties, just have a conversation with Leighton Baines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, it was, I mean, you can go on and on about it. There's there's many different things that we'll be frustrated about and, you know, probably one of the smaller ones, but it was just a bit weird to me in that. But let's stop this. Let's let's end this this uh, worrying and frustration and move on to the happier times of uh, a nice, a very good, I thought, lesser away win. Uh, important, nonetheless, for confidence and obviously uh, in the table and, I think the biggest decision here and the biggest uh, talking point here, again, goes back to Silva, but this time his decision to use the new front four, uh, this time uh, or he had uh, Bernard on the left starting with Richarlison in the middle, Walcott on the right, and then uh, Gilfie uh, behind them. What did you guys feel about it? I, I, I personally thought that it was it was nice to see Silva trying something different. Um, I don't know which, how you guys feel about what this means for Chank and Dom. Um, but I think it worked pretty well. I think it, it, it served its purpose and, and I'm interested to hear what you guys thought, Adam, we'll go right to you on this. Um, you know, I think, I think that the, the thing that was most talked about in the aftermath of this was that, uh, Richarlison started at striker. Um, and to me, that wasn't necessarily all that interesting because, you know, his, his role, his contribution, was not substantially different than that of any other striker that, that we'd throw up top. To me, the more interesting thing is uh, is having Bernard out on the left from the off because uh, he's shifty. <laughs> he is really shifty, and he is an infinitely better playmaker than Richarlison is. Uh, you know, Richarlison is, for all of his skills, the dude could not create a chance for someone else if his life depended on it. And obviously we saw what Bernard is capable of uh, out in that wide area, one V one, one V two, if really uh, on the, the goal that he set up for Richarlison who took it very, very nicely. But I think uh, the, the credit for Silva should be more so that he found a way to get Bernard into the lineup than necessarily by getting Richarlison up top. Well, I, I mean, I, I think we have to say, you know, Richarlison did do something that none of our strikers seem to be able to do, and that is put the ball in the back of the net. So That's that fair. is an That's added fair. bonus for him. <laughs> well, the, 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 the thing about that is if Bernard had been playing on the left the whole season, maybe Chink would have a few more goals. Mm, funny how that works out. It's, it's a good point because like we, uh, like Adam just made the point Adam just made, you know, we're, if we're being honest with Charleston's passing, isn't exactly the best. Um, and Bernard has really shown what he can do and really, I think excited a lot of us. I mean, I think he's really proven, uh, his skill set, which was something that I guess was a little up in the air as to what we were going to get from him. Um, but right now looking great. And, and I think, I'm interested to hear what you guys say on, on him specifically now. Do we need to talk about him being a full-time starter moving forward? Um, is there any room for him in this team to be a full-time starter? Chris, uh, if you, you want to start off with this one? Yeah, so the thing is that I don't think Chink Tosun has done a poor enough job to lose his job um, as Everton's number one striker. 
but I do think that Bernard has shown enough to deserve a starting spot. And so you kind of look across that attacking four. Well, you're not going to pull Richarlison out. Um, you're probably not going to pull Theo Walcott out. So the, the kind of the de facto option to leave on the bench is Chink. And that kind of ends obviously with Richarlison up top. So I, I do think that Bernard probably deserves to um, start moving forward. How that all sets up is kind of an open question. It probably ends with the same front four that we saw against Leicester. The interesting aspect of this to me is that Bernard kind of profiles as a super sub. Like you could bring that type of player on late in the game when you need a goal and he's just electrifying and burns defenders to a crisp. But there's a certain sense in which you don't want to waste that for the last 20 minutes. You want that creativity the entire game. Yeah, and I think that that ultimately kind of plays into what Marco Silva's trying to do as a whole. Um, you know, we saw Tom Davis get the start over Morgan Schneiderlin again this week. Obviously, uh, Ghana is in there as well. Um, and Silva's response to having those two guys being his, his starting midfielders, obviously the, the goal of having those guys in there is that they run a lot, they cover a lot of ground, they can help with a high press, they're going to force turnovers. But the downside is that uh, neither guy can pass his way out of a paper bag. So the the upshot has basically been that they work hard, they win the ball, and then they immediately just doink a simple pass out wide to either one of the fullbacks or one of the wingers, and those guys do the progressive work, they do the creative work, and then they try to find the the other winger or the striker or Gilfie or whomever in the final third. Uh, so be, with that knowledge that, okay, we're, we're trying to really get the creative, the progressive work out of primarily those wingers, it's tough for me to see long-term Richarlison – I don't know where he fits, to be honest, because he's so good on the dribble and he's proven to be very good in front of goal, but he, he just can't pass. Uh, here's, here's the thing, to your point, there are not many players in the Everton starting 11 from Saturday that can pass. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Ghana can't pass. Tom can't pass. Richarlison can't pass. Um, Theo Walcott God love him. I'm as big of a Walcott fan as anybody. He can't really pass either. Yeah, yeah. and it, it leaves you. Uh, it leaves you with uh, Gilfie and Bernard. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I think that's something you know. You got we look at here. You know, we have those players, especially uh, in the middle of the field, Davies and Ghana, who you know clearly have had their issues passing. Adding Bernard to that lineup gives another creative playmaker so that Gilfie doesn't have to do all the work himself and is able to, I guess, you know, really opens even Gilfie up to some more options where they're not only, uh, you know, I guess, barring down on Gilfie and defending him and, and defending passes out of him uh, because he's the only player on the field that can pass. Um, and, and I think that certainly helps out a little bit. Yeah, and one thing that I will say in defense of Silva here and in defense of this lineup is there's an argument that can always be made in in football to get your best 11 players on the pitch, and I do think that that front four is probably the best set of talent that we have available. Yeah, I agree. I, I You know, I agree, and I think that the, you know, to, to your point, Gino, about getting another 
playmaker out there in the form of Bernard is is obviously very helpful. Um, but the upshot there is that when you move Richarlison to striker, um, you know, Schenk, to his credit, um, is very good with his back to goal. His first touch is usually very good. He's great at playing one-twos with with Gilfie, with the wingers, with whomever. And I think that that's, you know, part of what kept him in the lineup for as long as he was while he was not scoring goals. Uh, and you lose that with Richarlison. Uh, I, I think ultimately, is it a, a sacrifice, you know, worth making to get Bernard in there and, and to have that front four? Uh, you know, I do definitely think so, but it limits the, the number of ways that you can play when you know that your central striker is not a guy that you can bounce passes off of uh, with any kind of regularity. Yeah, definitely. And, and that, you know, creates a little bit of problem. And maybe hopefully, you know, I think one of the players we have to look out for, hopefully, is, is Andre Gomes maybe coming in and being another player who can pass the ball around and, and really control the midfield a little bit. But talking about that center, uh, those those two in the center, Davies and, and Ghana, Davies has now seemingly taken over Schneiderlin's position in that uh, starting lineup being used consistently by uh, Silva. How do you guys feel like he did on Saturday and, and, and how do you think he's, uh, you know, progressed over here week to week? Well, he, um, <laughs> once, once Marco stopped asking him to pass forward in the central channel, he's been fine. Um, you know, he <laughs> cannot, he cannot make a pass through a, a crowd. Uh, he has never been able to. I don't think he ever will be, but gosh darn it. He runs a lot. His positioning, uh, with Ghana sitting a little bit deeper has, I think, been better this year, uh, than it was in the past. And I mean, heck, if, if that's the way that you're going to play, uh, he's a perfectly useful tool to do it. Yeah. So the, the thing that I want to note here is while I still probably disagree with the decision to play him over Morgan Schneiderlin simply on a talent perspective, I do want to give credit where it's due. And that is that the last two games against the last two league games, rather against uh, Fulham and Leicester, probably Tom Tom's best two performances of his Everton career on the whole, excepting the Manchester City game where he scored. He, you know, he his limitations are what they are, right? But as long as he plays within them, he's kind of ceased being an outright liability, and. Maybe that shouldn't be encouraging to me, but it, I guess it kind of has been. Yeah, and you know, ultimately, it's it's all in the way that Silva's tried to to set up. Uh, you know, if we're not trying to really keep possession in the center of the park, well, then you it's then it's a, a two sided thing. Then on the one hand, you know, Davis is a, is a player who can hold his own at that point, and on the other, if that's not really the way you want to play, well. As much as I agree with you, Chris, that Schneiderlin is a superior player to Davies in terms of pure talent, if you're not trying to keep possession in the middle of the pitch, I, I don't, I don't know what Schneiderlin does do for you. So it, it's a, it's a sensible swap so right. far as we're continuing to play the way that we are. Right, just because Tom runs faster than Morgan, he, uh, you know, gets stuck in, for lack of a better term, better than Morgan, and. If he also allows you to late in the game, if you need to make that sub to lock down the game, you can bring in Morgan, who provides mm-hmm. a much more sturdy sense of defense, and and that's kind of an interesting angle to me too. I'm sure that Morgan doesn't enjoy that, 
but in terms of the team's overall success, it's an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, Silva was even going to bring Schneiderlin in at 1-1 to kind of try to change. Presumably that would have come with a, a change in the way the team was playing a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and then Wes Morgan got sent off, and obviously that change went out the window. So I would have been curious to see what changes would have accompanied that. Uh, but, well, I, I suppose I should be happy that we didn't because <laughs> Morgan got sent and we found a goal, so it worked out yeah. at the end. <laughs> and, and, and just by the way, Wes Morgan, super washed. Oh, God. How <laughs> is he starting over Johnny Evans? Like, I know Johnny Evans is Johnny Evans, but you know what you're getting with Johnny Evans anyway. Yeah, Johnny Evans is like the re- the platonic ideal of a replacement-level center back. The idea that you would put Wes Morgan up against Richarlison of all people, uh, well, they got what they paid for. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like watching, I don't know, Ashley Williams, except not quite <laughs> that bad. <laughs> but we can well, relate because we I mean, did watch Ashley Williams last year. We're very shortly going to get John Joe Kinney against Wilfred Zaha. So. Oh, why would you be that way? <laughs> God, I don't even want to think about that. I don't want. I don't want to just. We're going to keep it out of our heads until we get into the, the Palace talk for now. Let's let's continue with this Leicester talk and, and talk a little bit about how the defense, you know, I guess Kenny is a part of this defense and how they contained uh, Leicester's counterattack. And, and Chris, how, do, how did this happen? You know, this was one of the biggest points we made last week about how uh, good Leicester is on the counterattack and how good they are at doing what they do. Um, how did Everton contain it? So it was a little bit spotty, right? Because every time that Everton turned the ball over, you kind of felt like, oh, man, this is going to end up in the back of our net, right? And so it did um, with Ricardo Pereira's uh, goal for Leicester. But overall, I was actually pretty pleased, especially with Michael Keane. He He's obviously just so much slower than Jamie Vardy, and he has his physical limitations, and Vardy was just hanging out on his back shoulder the entire match. But somehow he did just enough pretty much every time that Lester never really, other than their goal, got a got a clear-cut chance off of their favored sit back and hit you on the counter motive. And I was I was pretty impressed with Keane. He read the game well enough to where he never it never looked like he had to kind of call nine one one and Kurtzumo had to recover for him or something like that. It was uh, it was pretty impressive. Well, and I think that the other thing that makes it real easy, um, not real easy, but it makes it a whole lot easier in terms of uh, when you're playing against Leicester is that if you don't really want the ball either, particularly if you're not looking to keep it for long spells in the center of the park, uh, you're limiting the, their number of chances to counterattack just by default because you're not putting yourself in positions to make the turnovers that lead to their breaks. And Leicester outpossessed us. Uh, on on Saturday, and I'm not saying that is a good or bad thing. It's just a statement of fact that you know Lester doesn't come out looking to outpossess anybody. Uh, so if the way that you're playing is creating chances, which you know for Everton it was, we outshot them 17 to eight, uh, eight to two in terms of shot on shots on target, but you're pretty much even. Uh, Lester had 51.4 percent possession, so I mean it's basically even. But that means that you're limiting their chances because you're not dallying on the ball in the center of the park. And that's exactly the way that Silva's got his team set up to play. 
get it into the wide areas, get from the wide areas forward. And if we turn it over by the corner flag, we turn it over by the corner flag. We've got enough time to get ourselves back in into some kind of defensive shape. Yeah. And, and on the counterattack, I believe if I'm not mistaken, and I remember correctly, that goal that Lester had was actually, it was very close to being an Everton goal first. And they, they hit us on the counter on that, which, you know, again, you know, it, it's off a corner and, and unfortunately in those situations, there's not much you can do off corners, I don't think, to con- really control uh, uh, the counterattack really well. Um, well, you could not have John Joe Kenny playing right back. That's for it, one thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean within within the limitations that we have, I guess I should say. Yeah. Um, um, and and I, I again, I thought we handled the the counterattack well. And I, I, just to speak on the point about Keane, I think what we've been talking about a lot about Keane and really about our center backs has been how they in this system, you know, the way that Silva likes to play, how they make these quick decisions. And he, in this game, he had some really good decisions that ended up saving some goals uh, where I believe he had a slide tackle against Jamie Vardy when it looked like Jamie Vardy was through. Um, he just made some really good decisions. And that's something uh, that's good to see because, you know, a player that obviously is not as quick as Vardy um, is able to make those decisions in a quick manner and really um, kind of sniff out any um, attack. Um, and, and I think he did a good job of that overall. And I mean, and we talked about what Keane brings last week when we were talking about, you know, if if maybe Mason Holgate should should start this game. And I think ultimately, you know, what, what we saw is is what the truth of the matter comes down to. You know, Holgate can run and run and run, but he, he can't outrun his own stupidity. Uh, and, having Keen who is slow but clearly thinks the game so much better as long as you've got that other guy alongside him who can do some of the running in those vital moments you're you're better off with the guy who can think the game quick than the guy who can try to run to make up for the mistake that he's already made because he thinks it's the you know at a snail's pace yeah and I I completely agree with that and would just note that with every passing week the center back kind of debate gets more and more interesting I'm not really sure how you break up Keenan Zuma right now. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think you do. I, I mean, I understand. You know, Mina. He we bring him in, but you know, these guys have been playing well together. They built some a sort of chemistry now. You know, do you want to really break that up and you know try something new here? You know, and and you know we'll get into this. We're, yeah, we won two in a row. Uh, we're <laughs> doing something right. And the and uh, the tough part is, you know, you paid. 30 millions million of pounds dollars. for Yeri Mina, and then Kurt Zuma is on loan, is playing out of his mind. Yeah, yeah, that's five uh... at the back. Here we go. <laughs> I'm not actually, I'm not willing to commit to that. I haven't given it any thought. It just seems like you know the natural thing for someone to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I, I think, I think, um, one thing we have to talk about that's a good point for Zuma. I mean, he has an assist now, so I mean. Hey, that's that's more than than some center backs, you know. Do, you know? I mean, he really Zuma made that amazing five yeah. yard pass directly perpendicular to goal to get Gilfie loose from fifty yards out. Yep, that's that's what? our Kurt Zuma, all right. <laughs> Let's not show, sell the big man short. That was a very nifty five yard pass. Okay, it was a better pass than we would have gotten from Mason Holgate. That is what I will say. <laughs> And there, Adam, you've you've gotten your 
You're digging your 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 episode. I got it out pretty early this week. I too. know. I, it's it was impressive. It was impressive. <laughs> um, but you know, transitioning from the defense to uh, a player that uh, has been really, really, really good for us, and was the uh, product of a beautiful Kurt Zuma pass. Um, <laughs> uh, Gilfie has been really unbelievable, and and I, we've talked about this a little, but he has been so good in the middle of that field for us. Um, and then that goal, wow. I mean, that's really all I could say about it. You know, watching that goal, I was like, I, it was, it was something else. And it's nice to see that quality from Gilfie because he's been playing out of his mind right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> he, he really is, um, you know, had the goal this week, had another four key passes this week. So he's up to, uh, he's up to over three key passes a game, uh, or per 90, excuse me, although he always plays 90, so it's basically per game. Is that um, good? Can you tell me whether or not that's good? Uh, it's good. Bad. It is okay. good. It is good. Uh, plus Confirm. three key passes per game. Pretty friggin' good. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think credit to him and credit to Silva because, you know, it took a little while for him to hit top gear, not that he was ever playing poorly. He just wasn't as involved as I think we all would have liked for him to be. And basically the, you know, the, the change has been that instead of kind of sitting in that number 10 area and hoping that the ball comes to him, he just goes wherever the hell he wants. Um, well, <laughs> and obviously and the- that's, that's not always a, a recipe for success because not every player, you know, is smart enough to want to go to the place that he should actually be. Uh, but Gilfie Sigurdsson is, uh, and he just pops up all over the place. Um, I wrote about it uh, in the tactical piece on the blog this week. Uh, if you take a look at it toward the end, I, I talk about, you know, his touches. There's a good touches map from him from uh, from who scored where he's just all over the place. Um, and that is dangerous when you're an opposing team because you always need to know where he is. And if if you just lose track of him for a second – like Lester did because he was playing in a deeper midfield role at that point. Uh, he's going to do something magical and oh, hell did he do it this week. It, it kind of the amount of space that Lester gave him on that shot kind of reminded me. And I tweeted this from the, from the blog account at the time. It's a little bit like backing off of Steph Curry when he receives the ball at the three point line. It's just a huge mistake. <laughs> and he, always going to shoot from there and you know lo and behold it's uh it went in the back of the net yeah yeah i, I, I mean there's just the uh, we all just need to take another moment i think to just really really appreciate how good that shot was i mean off his foot was there really ever any doubt as soon as he struck it you could tell it oh boy Oh boy, he just picked the upper ninety, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> I need to, I need to. I'll rewatch the replay again in the morning when I should be working, but but uh, decide not to. He the he looked like he kind of just started running away from the shot after he kicked it before he knew where it was going. He was like, oh, that you know, that's in. I don't Another Steph Curry this. move. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. As soon as it's released, it's in. I know that's game. And, and it's also worth mentioning that um, all of Gilfie not only has, um, if you guys didn't know, he has more goals this season already than he had the entirety of last season. And uh, he's not being shunted into a left wing position by Sam Allardyce. Or by Ronald Tooman or by um, uh, David Unsworth. Yes, correct. So, about that. so you're saying that a player 
playing in his natural position is actually doing well. I would have never guessed. Oh, I know. It's, it's, I know. It's absolutely wild, Gina. <laughs> Oh man, but it's, before we move on to Palace, let's get in. Let's let's get this done and over with. John Joe Kenny, is he good enough to be in the Premier League? Is even as a backup, is he good enough to be in the Premier League, or or is this something that Everton really need to address in the transfer window in January? Um, here's how I will answer that, and that is that Adam can confirm this. At one point on Saturday morning, I uttered the words, "I miss Cuco Martina." Oh. Yeah. Wow. You know, and uh, Kenny, let's let's be fair to him that Saturday was obviously, you know, horrific from him, uh particularly on on the the goal from Pereira, uh, the the moment that he chose to go to ground, everything he did on that play was wrong, and it felt like every, you know, every moment of the game he was making the wrong decision. He is not as bad a player as he was on Saturday. That is not representative of him as a whole. It is certainly representative of what his absolute floor is. Um, but the the question is, okay, we know that's his floor. A, how do we make sure that never happens again? Uh, and, and B, then what's his ceiling? And is his ceiling truly uh, as a Premier League backup? Personally, I, I think it is. I think that he's got it in him to be a perfectly serviceable backup right back at this level. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think that Silva and co need to be taking a long, hard look at his usage and who they're playing him with because we've obviously seen that he could easily single handedly cost us a game, uh, as he almost did on Saturday. Yeah, and to to your your uh, usage point, and obviously it, it couldn't really be helped in this situation, but I am kind of of the opinion that playing him with Keane to his left is a general bad idea because Michael doesn't have the foot speed to make up for John Joe's mistakes if he lets somebody in behind him. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, you know, just because of, you know, protection against those mistakes. But I think, you know, Kenny's young, um, you know, but I, I think, like Adam said, I think he has it in him, but Lester was not his his uh, best game by far, and that's, I think, why we're raising these uh, this conversation. I mean, he's been playing, uh, you know, games since Seamus got, got hurt. So, I mean, we haven't really, really talked about him like this uh, yet. So, I mean, if this is the first time we're talking about him like this, I guess that's, not terrible for what, him, but what I will say uh, regarding Kenny to close it out, and I'm Chris might slap me for going this route, but here we are. <laughs> you know his his longest run in the team last uh, in the team was last year when uh, when Sheamus was hurt. Um, for the majority of that run at right back, where he was okay, he was okay. The player who was playing in front of him on the right wing was Aaron Lennon. Um, and Aaron Lennon is a willing defender, uh, a very willing defender. Uh, sometimes that's all he's got going for him because his final product is really lacking. Um, but there's a big difference between, you know, playing 15 games or so last year like he did with Lennon in front of him and somebody like Bernard or Walcott as it was yesterday, both because those guys aren't as willing 
to be tracking back, but also because they've got a lot more to offer going forward. And frankly, I don't want to see Theo Walcott having to track 50 yards back to help out John Joe Kenny the way that I would have been okay with it being Aaron Lennon back there because Lennon's not going to go down the field and score me a goal. Theo Walcott will. So just something else to think about if we continue to see Kenny out there uh, just looking at who he's playing behind and, and what impact that's having. Yeah, I think that's that's fair, even if Aaron Lennon is to you as Gerard De La Feo is to me um, yeah. in terms of ex-Everton <laughs> right-wingers. But one one thing that I that I kind of want to know, and I suspect that the people kind of want to know as well, is would you go out in January and search for another right back? Uh, no, I, probably about, not. I was about to say, I think that says it all right there. I think I think it's still a little up in the air, wouldn't you say, Adam uh, and Chris? I, I think it's still. Well, I don't know if I don't know if we want to. I don't know if that's the biggest necessity we we would or something we would need to go after in January. I I mean but I don't now. think it's necessarily a necessity, and then pardon my alliteration there, but I also am not as impressed with John Joe as Adam is, and not that he's impressed, but I, I kind of perceive him to be a total liability, and in terms of his usefulness among Everton's young players, he's barely ahead of Mason Holgate. I just, uh, you know, Seamus has been hurt a couple different times the last, what, 12, 18 months, and he's also not getting any younger. What is is Seamus, 28, 29? I'm not saying you need to go out and and pull a Lucas Denier where you buy a, (laughs) a, in their prime, fullback from Barcelona, but I would, I, I guess I would, I would just be interested in a different look. Um, we need the right-back version of Brian Oviedo is what you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, <laughs> my Cuco Martina joke aside, obviously we don't need him back, but just just somebody who's going to, to not make me feel so uneasy. Well, and I, I think even though obviously we're not going to go after a, a Lucas Dinia-type player, I think he's a good person to look at here, you know, a, a, a good example of what could happen. Because, I mean, I, th- I don't know if – how you guys felt, but I don't know if we really expected to get the offensive prowess or the, the attacking prowess out of Digne as we did, or as we have been getting. Um, and I think he's been a pleasant surprise and someone maybe not as talented as Digne or that costs as much, but someone who could give us, you know, a little bit going forward and then surprise us a little bit, uh, is something that you could do could do us well at that right back position, but yeah, and that's and that's all I'm saying. And I know we yeah. want to wrap the Lester talk up here, but uh, Lucas Denier, very good again, very good, very good. Yeah. Look forward to my interpretive dance expressing <laughs> my true love and devotion to him next week, folks. <laughs> I, I think I think what we're hearing over the last couple of weeks is Adam's 2018-19 kit purchase is uh, number twelve. It's getting closer and closer. I'll tell you that. <laughs> He's certainly been good, and Everton have been good in the Premier League with two wins in a row. And now we look towards after the international break where we take on Crystal Palace. And this is a Crystal Palace team that has added a couple players in, in Kuyate, who uh, formerly played for West Ham, Meyer, uh, Max Meyer on a free, who, who played in Germany, um, and then Jordan Ayew on loan. How do these additions add to their team? Do they give, have they really given them anything, um, extra? Has it 
improved Palace uh, from, you know, I guess what they were last season. So I I never really condoned purchasing a player from West Ham, uh, much less one of their midfielders, because West Ham's <laughs> midfield has constantly been a a problem. I know, I'll have to pull up. I'm pulling up the numbers here as I speak, but I don't think that Koyate has really played all that much, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, well, and the same can also be said of Max Meyer, uh, Meyer, who has 175 Premier League minutes through, you know, eight weeks of the season now. Uh, so for a team that was kind of already on the edge and Kuyate's played 197 minutes in the Premier League, not a whole lot more, uh, for a team that's, you know, not necessarily, I don't think anybody's really expecting them to get pulled into a relegation fight, but, um, for a team that, that was looking to be upwardly mobile after ending last season pretty well, uh, you have to say that the additions are pretty underwhelming, uh, at least to this point. I do have a joke for you guys, if you're ready. Oh, God. Oh, we're ready. Max Meyer, <laughs> he's just German Ross Barkley. Oh, that's uh, – actually, that's pretty true. Okay. No, I will. Uh, I will allow that. <laughs> so you, you have you have a talented youngster who's come up in one of Germany's uh, mid-table teams in Schalke. You don't really know what his position, his best position is, and he kind of you know squanders a couple years moving from the six to the eight to the ten, or it's, you know something in that order, and then he uh, just up and leaves, and his potential is never really re- fully realized. Yeah. Well, I mean, so far, I uh, I took him in the uh, in our fantasy league, and uh, well, let me tell you, uh, that did not last long. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I think I, I think I think coming into this game or uh, coming into this uh, season, Meyer, there was a lot, there was a little a bit of, um, I guess, promise behind the Meyer on a free. You know, he had, I guess, he had a falling out with Schalke, and you know. Chris Powell's managed to get him on a free, which, you know, any players that you can get on a free, always, uh, always good. Um, Hello, you know, Bernard. Exactly. I was just about to say, always a good buy, uh, if, for example, uh, Bernard, but he has not really, uh, done much for them as, as we've mentioned. Um, it, it, it's interesting to me that Crystal Palace's, uh, two minutes leaders are Andros Townsend and Patrick Van Onholt. Gross. Wow. That is, yeah. uh, go ahead. And, and as we, and even when you look into their, into their midfield, um, Milivojevic, uh, had, had a pretty good year. Luka Milivojevic did for, for Palace last year. So, you know, I'll, I'll give them that. But, you know, the other starting midfielder for this team is, uh, is, is James MacArthur. So, you know, when you're looking at Kuyate and you're looking at Meyer and you, you, you can't, you know, unseat James MacArthur. <laughs> it's not a great look for your two, you know, your two big midfield signings. Yeah, not normally, not normally a good thing there. But just looking at Palace now in in the, the over the course of the season, they're 14th, got seven points through eight games. They've lost to Wolves, Bournemouth. They drew Newcastle. Uh, they also lost to Southampton, Watford, and Liverpool. Their two wins are against Huddersfield and Fulham. Um, and it seems like this team is a built around one player and one player only, and that is Wilfred Zaha, which will cause whoever plays that right back position uh, a lot of trouble. And, and 
it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out. But Zaha is, is certainly going to be a uh, a troublesome player out there. No, guys? Yeah, definitely. You know, he's he's the guy that you've got to watch. And I, I think uh, that the, the interesting thing with Zaha is that he's – Featured, he has featured out, uh, you know, out on the the wing as as you kind of traditionally think of him. But he's he's also played a fair bit in a four four two alongside Benteke. So you know, it's it's a different, obviously, it's a different look and it's a different player that uh, is concerned with <laughs> shutting him down. If if I'm Crystal Palace, I'm seeing the opportunity to line him up, you know across from John Joe Kenny and I'm throwing him out wide without even thinking about it, but we may see him in a four, four, two as well, which, well, we could probably have a whole conversation about what exactly his strike partner, Christian Benteke is. <laughs> yeah. I, I have him. I was, you picked Meyer. I picked Christian Benteke in our fantasy league. And I don't really understand what he does. If we're being oh. completely honest, I'm not, I'm not sure he, we have to we have to be fair to Christian Benteke because do we? You, no, no, no. We do, we do. Because in your brain, you think of him as a perennial underachiever, right? That's what you've got him in your brain. Yeah. 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 Well, okay. So he scored 13 goals for 2014-15 Aston Villa. Which uh, was that? Not the Villa team that got relegated. That was a bad Aston Villa team. That was uh, Adrissa Gay was on the team, if memory serves. Yes. So yes. So yeah, was, that, yeah. that was that was a bad Aston Villa team. He then goes to Liverpool, scores nine goals in fifteen hundred minutes. So he's averaging more than a uh, half a goal per ninety. Then he put up fifteen for for Palace the next year, and last year his underlying metrics were very good. Uh, his XG was 11, which is very good, but he only scored three times, <laughs> which is, you know, well, obviously I, I, where the problem is. But he's historically been a good finisher compared to his underlying stats. You don't have any other past years for him where, you know, his XG is five greater than uh, than what he's actually scored. So I think that the only real conclusion that you can draw from him is that he is, there's still probably a good player in there somewhere. Just one who is so desperately in need of confidence that you may never see that good player again. I'm going to, I'm going to cut Gino super deep here and uh, call Christian Pateke the Premier League's Chuck Knobloch. Oh, wow. I think, I think yeah. Christian has the yips. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I have to say, like you just said, Adam, you know, the, the, the difference in the expected goals and, and the goals. Christian Benteke, you, you look at him as this big body, this big striker who can get up, put a head on a ball, you know, really control the, the, uh, the box and really, you know, put goals in the back of the net, which he has done before. But for this Palace team, he's been less than good in terms of, of finishing, um, and putting those balls in the back of the net. And I, I think I, I, that's really been the issue. And I, th- I don't know whether that's because he has who, who he has playing around him. I, I don't think it is because like we just said, that Aston Villa team wasn't very good. Yeah, no, I just think he can't shoot straight right now. And like I said, I don't think that's historically been an issue for him, but I mean, if you can't shoot straight, you can't shoot straight. I, I, mean, I mean, and I, that's, I'm, that's been the issue overall for Palace this season. Uh, I'm, I'm doing a triple take at the numbers here because they have five goals for in eight games. Is, is that right? That's how that, it is. It sounds a that lot is, like how they started off last season, too. Yeah, except that they've only conceded nine, which 
is better than any of the uh, non-top six teams, uh, save Wolves. So <laughs> it's which, they are which... a confounding team, I think, in a lot of ways because you look at that back line and it's not like, you know, you're scared to death of Van Einholt and James Tompkins and Sacco, but they're keeping the ball out of the back of their net at a rate that, well, we wish that Everton could. Um, so I, I don't know what to expect <laughs> from Crystal Palace, I think is the point we're driving at. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're plenty talented enough. I just the, – the pieces that they have don't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, you look at, like we just talked about, Max Meyer. He's kind of positionless. Um, Luka Milivojevic likes to play more defensively, but, he, you know, they've got him at least last season scoring goals. And then they have two wingers in Zaha and Townsend who should be probably playing out wide, but Zaha's up top. It just – it feels like they're trying to kind of make, you know, lemonade out of a, a batch of rotten lemons. Yeah, and, and just to uh, go over, uh, just looking up Crystal Palace's five goal scorers this season uh, or, or how they scored their five goals, three goals from Wilfred Zaha. The other two are from Jeffrey Schlupp and Patrick, Van Jeffrey Schlupp. and Patrick Van Arnhold. So that's not normally a good recipe when you score five goals, three of them are from one player, and the other one is from a uh, – a, one of the other ones is from a defensive player. Funny, funny story, Wilfred Zaha, great player, not that good of a finisher. <laughs> it's a fair, fair point there as well, and then that's it'll be interesting. I mean, we're talking about not finishing, and I think we are uh, experts on that now after seeing some of the uh, the finishing that we've had this season already. But moving on, um, moving on to uh, just some of the injury talk, the lineup talk. Should be totally healthy for this game with expecting, you know, McCarthy, Gomes, Mina, Coleman, Jags, Benning Nimi all back. They're all expected back for this game. How do you think we line up for this one? Uh, what, what, do we change anything from what we've done the past two weeks? I mean, we have won two in a row. Uh, what does Silva do here? So I would expect that Seamus Coleman comes directly back in for John Joe Kinney. I would also hope that um, Andre Gomes and Yuri Mina come onto the bench. Gomes, I'm not really sure who he would replace, and maybe Adam has a contribution on that. I think that Mina can come in and replace Holgate on the bench. Pretty, That's pretty straightforward, but uh, we're, we're getting close to... <laughs> <laughs> We're getting close to full strength, and um, I, I'm pretty happy about that. Yeah, um, I think the as as we've talked about it, you know, I think that up front things are are settled uh, in large part. We at least know who's going to be going to be in the rotation and kind of where the individual pieces are going to fit in in through one of two avenues, either where we've got Richarlison up top or or we don't. Uh, I think at the back, you know, we're relatively settled at least until mean is a hundred percent and then you can only get better <laughs> from there. Uh, I think it's in the midfield where the questions still lie. Uh, like you said, Gomez comes back. Um, he's an option uh, that depending on how we want to play could be a, an option superior to, to Tom Davis um, and Benny Beningami too. Um, and I've joked a couple of times on the pod about Benny Beningami, but uh, in his obviously limited time last year, uh, I think this kid could be the real deal. Um, he's comfortable um, kind of playing as a six, 
sitting deep. Uh, his distribution was very good when he played last year. I think he moves better than Morgan Schneiderlin does, certainly. Um, so you could use him as more of a box-to-box guy if needed. Uh, I don't know how Silva rates him, and it's a little unfortunate for him that he's coming back at the same time that Andre is because I think he might have gotten a look. But I, I think at this point he's probably going to be too far down the depth chart behind presumably Schneiderlin, Gomes, uh, and Ghana and Davis. So I, I hope that we see him, but I think that, that Chris is right that I think uh, Gomes and Mina on the bench and Coleman back in the 11 are probably where we start uh, start with seeing those guys back after the break. My my question for Adam is, it, it, it sounds like you might still watch that Benny Benigami highlight from the FA Cup last season where he just puts a clattering tackle in on the Chelsea player and then picks the ball up and does just a pirouette. Well, we don't have that much to work off of. I don't have that much data. You've got to let me have this one. Well, I mean, I have more data on Gerard de la Feu, but you won't watch those highlights. Well, yeah, because Benny is good and Jerry is crap. <sighs> All right, guys, so, settle down here. Let's go. We don't need we don't need to get in any fights here. Um, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> and uh, I, I think, I think. I think you guys are right. I think it's good. It's a good thing to be totally healthy here, and it's going to be interesting to see how um, things line up. But I think we go generally pretty much the same, except for uh, Coleman and uh, and Kenny getting the switch. Um, but real quick, R- guys. R.I.P. Phil Jagielka. Yes. Yeah, we uh, didn't R- even <laughs> – Gino listed him, and we just glazed right over it. Didn't even uh, mention him. Didn't yeah, even... you know, and I mean that's, that's the reality, you know – we could maybe argue that he could take uh, a spot ahead of uh, Holgate in the depth chart, although I'm not even necessarily convinced that that's the case. But he's certainly not going to crack the top three once Mina gets back, and we're not in enough competitions to be uh, <laughs> looking to rotate past the third center back on the depth chart. So no, and one thing I will mention is that Yuri Mina scored three goals at the World Cup all off of set pieces, and uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson and Lucas Denier Pretty, pretty good, good at those set pieces. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice it's a nice problem to have, certainly. And guys, real quick, let's go with predictions right now. Adam, you first. What do you got for this weekend? Uh next uh next weekend. Oh, right? Excuse me, next weekend. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Um provided that we don't have any new injury crises, which surely we will. That's how we operate, but let's pretend that we won't. Um, you know, I think that this is going to be an Everton team that's coming in with a fair bit of momentum. Uh, I think that Palace obviously has has struggled to an extent this season. Um, I think that we come out probably looking to play the exact same way that we did this week. Uh, we're, you know, we're going to not necessarily look to possess the ball a ton. We're going to try to force turnovers in the midfield and then push it out wide to the wingers and let whoever those wingers are try to work with Gilfie and whoever the striker is. And frankly, I, I think it'll probably work out pretty well against a, a Palace team that's, that's still struggling to get going this season. I think probably 2-0 is what I'm going to go with uh, for Everton. I think uh, Bernard will finally get on the board. And the other one, mm, dealer's choice. Take your pick. <laughs> <laughs> Chris? I, uh, I'm a little bit mad at Adam because he stole my prediction. I'm also going with, uh, 2-0. I don't think that, uh, Palace really have the guns to keep up with us. I don't, uh, I don't particularly rate Andres Townsend. 
Christian Benteke is stuck in the twilight zone and I'm going to uh, will Seamus Coleman back into existence. And so I think that uh, I think we'll be fine. I think we're going to make it three in a row. Yeah, and just to cap that off, I think we win this one 2-1 just because I'm a pessimist and just feel like Zaha is going to put one in the back of the net. But I do think that we can uh, take take a win here and uh, really, uh, yeah, like you said, put three in a row and build some confidence in this team, uh, especially being back healthy. But Love that's to be ahead of Manchester United in the table. That would be yes. Doesn't yes. doesn't count for anything. Anybody can beat United now, except for Newcastle. But yeah, well, it's not the point. That's <laughs> it. After Palace, that's our next game, if I'm not mistaken. So uh, if not this week, hopefully the week after that, we grab a win there. Just um, in time for Mourinho to get sacked and them to come back roaring because someone yeah. will actually let them hack. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But that's it. Hoping for another win in a couple weeks. Uh, we got the international break coming up. We got some interesting stuff uh, planned. So stay tuned. Listen next week, too, even though Everton does not have a game. Um, and we'll talk to you guys later. <laughs>